Good morning to you. So good to see everybody this morning. What a great time of worship we've had already, and uh, we look forward to continuing as we study in Malachi today. Malachi chapter 3 will finish our study in the book of Malachi today. First thing we're going to do is dismiss our children who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs for kids crew. They'll join with our leaders, make their way upstairs to be part of our kids crew time of worship today. It's a time of worship designed specifically for them on their level where they get to study the word and in an interactive way. While they're making their way upstairs for that, let me say if you are a newcomer, a guest worshiping with us today, we would encourage you to fill out one of these guest information cards. These are located throughout our sanctuary in the backs of our pews. So wherever you're seated, you'll find this in the back of the pew. We would encourage you to fill that out and drop that in the offering plate so that we would have record of the fact that you're with us today. We want to be able to connect with you and and help you if you're looking for ways to get involved in the life of our church, looking for ways to take next steps, get plugged into a group, uh, looking for a way to connect with ministry for your kids, or even perhaps a place where you might serve and use your gifts. We'd be happy to get with you and and visit about that. You can just give us your information. If you've joined us this morning on our live stream or listening in on our local radio broadcast, you can go to our website, fbcchickasha.org slash connect, and there you will find a web form with that same information that you can give us today. Malachi chapter 3, as I mentioned already, we're in the book of Malachi, and we're finishing our study through the book of Malachi This morning in the time that we have together, we've worked our way over the past six weeks through this book. And it's really setting the stage for us as well, because the next two weeks as we're building toward Christmas, we're going to look at some things that Malachi foretold. So we'll get into the Gospels in each of the next few Sundays and look at some things that we find fulfilled, prophecies that are fulfilled in the Gospels that that Malachi spoke and that we've studied together over these last few weeks. You remember when you were a child and you would get a, a, a two pictures and there would be something different between the pictures and, and you were told, find the difference between these two pictures. You remember those types of, of activities or exercises? So there might be you know, two pictures and, and they've taken a few things out or they've uh, rearranged or added a few things and the whole goal was find the difference between these two pictures. What's, what's different between these Two things. Well, essentially, what Malachi does for us this morning in the text that we're going to study is he paints a picture and he tells us what is different between two persons, if you will, two people, two categories of people, even the righteous or the wicked, the one who serves the Lord and the one who serves self. And, and that's an important thing for us to see because, of course, we want to be the righteous. We want to be the one that would serve the Lord rather than the one that would serve self. And yet what comes naturally to us, what we, what we fall so easily into is serving ourselves, seeking our own desires, doing the things that would just make us happy rather than asking, is this what the Lord wants? Is this what honors God in any given situation? And so it's important, I think, for us to study this and not only see how it speaks to Malachi's original audience, but then, of course, through the work of the Holy Spirit, how it continues to speak into our hearts and our lives today. We want to be people who honor the Lord and who live in light of the fear of the Lord. That's something that we'll talk about this morning, a phrase that you will see repeated numerous times in this text is the fear of the Lord or the one who fears the Lord. And so look for that even as we read together. Let's start in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, and then we'll finish 
in Malachi 4.6. So we'll essentially just finish the book of Malachi together as we read. Malachi says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so, as we've seen each of the past five weeks, essentially you have this this pattern of sorts that Malachi's prophecies fit. And in this pattern, the Lord speaks to the children of Israel. He speaks to Judah. And he brings a charge against them. And then there's a response that sort of supposes the, the, the children of Israel's response to the Lord. It's as if they were, it's as if they were contending with him or, or refuting the charge that he brought against them. And then the Lord answers and brings a word of judgment against them. And that's the same pattern here. And in this word of judgment that the Lord brings, he speaks about the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. We see that in chapter 3 verse 18, right? There's this language about the, what is distinct, what is different between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves the Lord and the one who does not serve the Lord. So let's look at that this morning and, and understand about this distinction between the righteous in the wicked. In the text, I have, in my study of the text, I've identified several things that we see listed as this distinction between the two what the wicked do and what the righteous will do. In fact, four points of distinction that, that I want to point us to in understanding the difference between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves the Lord, the one who does not. The first thing is that the righteous esteem the name of the Lord. We see that said plainly here that they will esteem his name in verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, that it speaks of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. As opposed to that, the wicked are the ones who speak against God. Rather than esteeming his name, rather than honoring him, rather than having that, 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 that healthy, that holy fear of who God is, of his greatness in his name, they would speak against the Lord. We see that even in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, the Lord says. So you've spoken against me. You speak out against me. So those who are wicked, those who serve their own self-interest, those who do not serve the Lord, they speak against the Lord. They speak against his wisdom. They speak against the word of the Lord. But 
By, by comparison, we might say the righteous are those who esteem the name of the Lord, those who would honor him, those who would, who would literally, with their words, with the words that they speak, they would esteem him, they would lift up his name. When you esteem someone, when you, when you pay someone honor in, in, in some way, that, that really speaks to the way that you view them, doesn't it? When you speak well of someone, then that's a reflection of the fact that you, you think well of them. When you speak poorly of someone, then it's a reflection of the fact that you think poorly of them. Now, we've probably all been guilty of speaking well of someone that we don't think so well of or speaking poorly, more poorly of someone maybe than even what is truly in our hearts. We've probably all done that. But I mean in, a, in its purest way, what, what we say about someone, how we esteem their name is a reflection of what we think of them. And no doubt in this text, those who esteem the name of the Lord are the ones who fear him, who would honor him. So there's this distinction that we see, right? Let's keep, keep looking. We see more points of distinction. The second thing that we see is that the righteous will keep the Lord's statutes and his rules. They will keep the Lord's statutes and his rules. The law of Moses as it was the, in, in chapter 4, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. This is the law of the Lord that was given to Israel, that they would walk in this way, that they would live according to this law, and thereby they would show their honor for the Lord, they would show their faith and their belief in God through keeping his commandments, keeping his laws and his statutes. As opposed to this, the wicked are those who do not trust the Lord. They do not honor his word. They do not trust him. And so they, not only do they speak against him, but even in their hearts, they, they believe there's no worth in keeping the law of the Lord. So in chapter 3, we're kind of jumping back and forth. In chapter 3, verse 14, we see that the wicked have said, It is vain to serve God. What profit is it in keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. In other words, the wicked would say, what good is it to do what the Lord would have us do? What good is it to honor God? What good is it to keep his word? What good is it to live in obedience to him? So the righteous understand that the Lord gives wisdom, that the Lord gives us his word and his laws and his statutes are good. In fact, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Psalm 119. Now, many people know Psalm 119 as being the longest single chapter in all of the Bible. But as you read through Psalm 119 again and again, you find references to the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of God, the precepts of the Lord, his word again and again. And it says that we would delight in these things, that these things are good, that we can trust in these things. So when we come to the Lord in faith, when we live in, in a way that is righteous and honor him, then we see the wisdom in his word but when we are wicked, we find wisdom in our own words. We find wisdom in our own way of thinking, in our own line of reasoning. And so to be the people of the Lord, to be his righteous people, to honor him and serve him, we must trust him. We must obey his word, keep his statutes, keep his rules. The third thing we see in this text is that the righteous serve the Lord above their own self-interest. Chapter 3, verse 18 speaks of those who fear the Lord and who, who serve Him. And by, by virtue of the fact that they, that they serve Him, 
they are righteous. Between, we see the distinction it even says between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So if the righteous are those who serve the Lord, then the wicked are those who serve themselves. They serve their own self-interest, we might say. So rather than submitting their life to the will of God, rather than submitting to the word of God, the statute of God, the laws of God, the wicked are those who say, no, I'll do things my way. I'll serve my own self-interest. I think this is best. I think this way is best. I think this way is right. The righteous serve the Lord and serve him above their own self-interest, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense to us by our own natural human reasoning. And to be fair, there are plenty of times when that happens. But the righteous are those who will lean into the Lord, who will serve him. The wicked, it tells us, are those who would serve their own self-interest. Finally, we see this point of distinction in the text. That the righteous look forward to the day of the Lord. Or we might say that the righteous welcome God's judgment. So the day of the Lord that is spoken of here in this text, particularly in chapter 4, when we get into chapter 4, this day of the Lord is a common theme that is woven throughout the Old Testament. In, in fact, throughout much vast portions of the Old Testament, but especially in the prophets, in, in what we think of as the works of the prophets or the writings of the prophets, We read again and again about this coming day of the Lord. It's a future day of judgment. Martin Luther, the reformer Martin Luther, spoke of the fact that there are two days. He he would say there are two days of which I can be certain. Today and that day. This coming day of the Lord was this coming day of judgment. When I was, uh, some years ago when I was in seminary, I had a professor who was trying to explain how we should think of and understand this day of the Lord. Was the day of the Lord, was it a singular day? And if so, has it happened already? Is it a day that's going to come in the future? And, and so the, this professor of mine described it much like looking at a, a photograph of, of something. So When we look at a photograph of something, and in particular, he talked about looking at a a photograph of the mountains. And so when you look at a photograph of the mountains, what you're seeing is a two-dimensional object, right? It's not in three-dimension you're you're seeing, and yet the, the size of the various things in that picture help give some reference to the size of that mountain. And, and, and the distance between things are which in the near field, field of vision and things which are further in the field of, of vision. And your mind knows to interpret these things and make sense of these things. And this professor would say that that's a lot of, of like how we are to understand the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord, the ultimate capital D, as it were, day of the Lord, is that coming day of judgment. It's that mountain peak that we see, so to speak. But along the way... There are, there are other days of judgment. There are other moments of judgment that we will all face that would align with this idea of the day of the Lord. And so it's as if you, if you will, go with the analogy, you're seeing other peaks in view, and yet the grandest peak of them all, the large peak in, in this supposed picture, that's the coming day of the Lord, and the other days are, are these other things. And so the, the point is this. 
there's, there's sort of a twofold understanding of this day of the Lord. There is coming a final day of judgment when God will, he will bring judgment. And that's what we think of when we, when, we, when we speak of the second coming of Christ. When we speak of that day, that ultimate day of judgment, when Jesus will return, even in this season of Advent, as we look forward to the coming of Christ, as we look forward to his second coming, it's a reminder to us that Jesus is coming again. And so we anticipate his Advent. We anticipate that coming day of the Lord, that day of judgment. But along the way, there are, there are other days of judgment. There are other days when the Lord will visit judgment on those who honor Him and those who don't. When we reap the consequences of our decisions, where we have the opportunity to esteem the name of the Lord, to honor Him, or to serve our own self-interest, as it were. And the one who is righteous will seek to honor the Lord and welcomes his judgment. The one who is righteous welcomes God's judgment in their life. But the one who is wicked runs from judgment. The one who is wicked tries to avoid judgment, tries to avoid that, that, that truth that judgment brings. And even that coming day of judgment, that, that day of the Lord, that, as it were, that's coming, for the one who is wicked, that will be a fearful Day, because it will be the day when they were finally judged in their sin. And so the righteous look forward, they welcome the Lord's judgment, they look forward to the day of the Lord. The wicked would hide from and uh, woe the, the day of the Lord, woe the, the Lord's judgment. So then the obvious question is if there's this distinction between the righteous and the wicked, what am I? Am I the righteous or the wicked? How do I, what is the righteous person? How, how do I become the righteous person? That's the, the natural question that the text begs. If this is the way that the righteous live, then how am I to live in this way of righteousness? And the key in understanding that is the fear of the Lord. We see that three different times in, the, in this text, this phrase of the fear of the Lord, the significance, the importance of the fear of the Lord. But what is the fear of the Lord? When you think about the fear of the Lord, what does that mean? I suppose it probably brings a lot of things to mind. In, in the, the Bible, particularly, and, and this is, I, I want to give us sort of a working definition of the fear of the Lord. Because in the Bible in particularly, Fear of the Lord, the phrase or the idea of the fear of the Lord is used somewhat synonymously with the idea of faith. That the one who has the fear of the Lord or the one who, who demonstrates the fear of the Lord is the one who lives by faith in God. And so as we are going to talk about the, the fear of the Lord this morning, and even as I think is the right way for us to understand the fear of the Lord, it would, it would be, I, I think it would be the equivalent of saying the person who lives by faith, the one who trusts in Christ by faith, is the one who lives in the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a healthy fear. It's a, it's a right understanding of God's power and His authority and His ability. And it's bringing ourselves willfully under the subjection of that power and that authority and that agency that God has in our lives and in our world. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9 Verse 10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So throughout the Old Testament, even the New Testament, throughout the Bible, we see the fear of the Lord essentially is is faith in the Lord, faith in His plan, faith to trust Him, faith to obey, faith to live according to His sovereign, His divine authority over our lives, and most importantly, over sin and death itself. And so this term, fear of the Lord, I think is synonymous. Not only that, let me, let me even just go back. Let me reread these two passages of Scripture. Proverbs 1, 7 and 9, 10. And let me just exchange the word fear of the Lord with faith, okay? And hear it this way, because I think this, is, this helps us, again, understand what the fear of the Lord is. Faith is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Faith is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When we think of it along those lines, the fear of the Lord is, is what it means to live by faith. I think it's important that we would be people who live by faith. We would be the ones who are righteous because we trust the Lord, we live by faith in Him, and we serve Him. And so I want us to see together four things that this passage teaches us about fearing the Lord or the fear of the Lord. And the first one I've already kind of been talking about is that the fear of the Lord forms our faith. The fear of the Lord forms our faith. The fear of the Lord, we might say it this way, is is, uh, sort of the foundation of our faith. That as we understand what it means that God is powerful over sin, that when we understand what it means that our sins deserve, deserve punishment, that Jesus Christ came into this world and lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross and ultimately was resurrected from the grave in order to pay the price for our sin, that now he stands able to forgive and cleanse us of our sin and our unrighteousness. Even the passage of Scripture that the walkers read from Isaiah 53 speaks about the servant of the Lord who offered himself up for us, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's a, that's a picture of the punishment that the Lord took on our behalf so that we might live forgiven, redeemed, set free from sin. It's the, and that's the foundation of what it means to have faith in Christ, is that we have a fear of him that is, that is built upon, that is formed, the, the foundation of faith. And we want to be people who live by faith. Throughout this passage, as we study and, and we see the distinction between the, the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves the Lord, it's, it's so plain, isn't it? That the one who has faith in the Lord trusts him and obeys him. And the one who does not have faith in the Lord is the one who speaks ill against the Lord. The one who says, what good is it to serve the Lord? What good is it to follow God's plan? What good does it really do ultimately? Because it seems like when I look at the world, it seems like those who, who do what they want and live their own way, that they're the ones who get ahead. But the one who sees this world through the lens of faith trusts that God has a plan and God has a purpose and God has power and and, and God will provide when we look to him and we trust him. We live by faith. The fear of the Lord forms our faith. It's that foundation of our faith. Secondly, we see that the fear of the Lord informs our identity. 
It informs the way that we see ourselves. It informs the way that we see ourselves in in response to who God is, in light of who God is and what He has done. I love this phrase that's used here in verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17. It speaks about treasured possession. In the day, the Lord says, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. That's what we are. As, as the people of God, as those who have come to Him in faith and are righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did on our behalf, now we are His treasured possession. We belong to Him, and He won't let us go. He's holding on to us, and so by faith we come to the Lord. It informs our identity. It changes the way that we see ourselves, that we think of ourselves as His treasured possession. Are you a child of God? Have you trusted in Jesus by faith? Are you righteous, not because of anything that's virtuous or good about you, but because you've trusted in Jesus by faith? Then you are his treasured possession. And that ought to change the way that you see yourself. Will you make mistakes? Yes. Will you sin? Certainly. Will you stumble and fall over and over again? Most likely, yes, you will, over and over again. And yet, because of Christ's power over sin, our sin is not final. It does not have the final word over us. Because of Christ's power over sin and death, we can look forward with anticipation for the coming day of judgment because we know that ultimately we will be judged righteous because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. And so it informs our identity that we see ourselves as children of God. Third, we see that the fear of the Lord transforms our future. Not only is it the foundation of our faith, does it form our faith, not only does it inform our identity in the way that we see ourselves, but it transforms tomorrow. It transforms our future. It changes what lies in store for us. And that's what God plainly says here, right? He speaks here in verse 16 about those who feared the Lord, spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention, heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord. This book of remembrance, right, we, we see that in, the, in, in the, the New Testament. I think especially in the book of Revelation, we see the reference to what we would call the Lamb's book of life, right? It's this book that the Lord has, and in it are are written the names of those who have trusted the Lord by faith. It's a record of those who have who have turned to the Lord in faith, who are not trusting in their own goodness, but are trusting in Him. And the future looks different for those who have trusted God by faith, does it not? When you read the book of Revelation, when you see about the coming day of judgment that's coming, the day of the Lord that's coming someday, there's a different path in store for those who have trusted the Lord by faith and those who are still trusting in themselves, trusting in their own goodness. And so faith in the Lord, fear of the Lord transforms our future they shall be mine, says the Lord, verse 17, in the day when I make up my treasure possession. And then look at this. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 6, then he even speaks about, I will turn the hearts of children 
to their fathers and fathers to their children. Right? There's, this, there's this transforming work that takes place so that we seek a right relationship with the Lord and we seek to have right relationships with each other. And because of that, because we live by faith, because our future is transformed, our identity informed by faith in Jesus, it, it, it changes things about us. It shapes the way that we see our circumstance. It spares us even from future sufferings. Now, hear me when I say that. That doesn't mean that we won't go through hardship and pain in this life. We will. I'm talking about the suffering, ultimate suffering, that those who don't know the Lord will face someday. Because to be clear, the Bible paints a picture of, of this day of the Lord and what a, what a day of wrath and what a day of woe it will be for those who don't know the Lord by faith. A day of judgment a day of pain, a day of brokenness and sorrow. Even in chapter 4, it speaks of it as being a day of fire, right? This day of the Lord is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. They will be laid waste by the Lord's judgment. And yet, for the one who walks in righteousness, the one who fears the Lord, that's not a day to, that's not a day to fear. It's not a day to dread. Because in that day, we will be found righteous because of the work of Jesus. And so it shapes the way we see our circumstance. It spares us from future suffering. The fear of the Lord transforms our future. And finally, we see that the fear of the Lord conforms our behavior. It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we live. Again, I would point to... I would point to a couple of verses. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And then it says, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. It's a picture of, it's a picture of those who trust the Lord, who fear the Lord, who live by faith. And they don't have to live with worry and dread of that future judgment. And so there can be peace. There can be joy. Even the picture, it's, it's, it's a, very, uh, a very vivid description here of the calf who goes out leaping from the stall. Right? It, it's a picture of innocence. A picture of, of, of newness, of naivety even of sorts. Right? This, this, this newborn calf leaping from the stall. And the idea is that we're set free from the burden of sin and guilt when we trust in the Lord, when we fear Him, when we come to Him by faith. And that changes the way that we live. So that now no longer are we trying to earn God's, God's uh, favor by the things that we do. No longer are we trying to earn forgiveness by the, the way that we live. We understand that in Jesus we have been forgiven and set free and, and the weight is lifted, the burden is removed and now we can live no longer fearful of the future but with joy and peace even as we look at the peace candle today. Peace, hope, love, these, these themes of Advent mark our lives as we trust the Lord it conforms, it changes our behavior. But there's a final word of judgment built into the way that Malachi ends his, his word of prophecy. In fact, many Bible scholars have talked about the fact that it's like Malachi makes a statement, but then finishes the statement with a question mark, right? That he's making a statement of sorts here, but it's kind of open-ended because the idea is that the Lord is coming, 
He's coming in, in a day that will be a day of judgment, a day of his appearing. And unless they, the children of Judah were to turn their hearts to him, this would be for them a day to fear. And so he speaks of sending Elijah the prophet. Now we saw last week that that's, that's a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. Elijah being the one who was sent to prepare the way. Even next Sunday we'll, we'll see how John the Baptist fulfills this prophecy. How John the Baptist is this figure Elijah. And we don't have to guess at that because Jesus tells us as much plainly in the book of Matthew. And so we're going to see that, that John fulfills this prophecy. He is this Elijah figure who tells of the coming of Christ. And then Jesus himself is the one who comes to, to make things right. And he will turn hearts of fathers to children and children. He's the one that will make all things right, the way that things ought to be. And that's a picture of what this is. A father's heart ought to be for his children, and the child's heart ought to be for their father. And yet, we live in a world marred by sin and brokenness, and we know that there are many instances where that's not the case. But what, what Malachi is saying, what the, really what the Lord is saying through Malachi, is that I'm coming There will be a day when I come and in judgment I will make things right, says the Lord. It ought to change the way that we live in light of that coming day. That we live for the Lord today in anticipation of that coming day of judgment. That we make the most of this moment and and the opportunity that we have now to live for the Lord in light of the fact that we believe that He's coming again someday. See, our belief in His promise, our belief in His word ought to change the way that we live here and now. And that's the point that Malachi is making. So that the fear of the Lord forms our faith. The fear of the Lord, it informs our identity. The fear of the Lord transforms our future. And ultimately, the fear of the Lord then conforms our behavior. That we would, that we would bring ourselves willingly under submission of God's authority and live according to His word. Live according to what he has said is just and right. Not what we say is right, but what the word of God says is right. What the Lord has told us is right. Because we understand that he's coming again someday. And in that day, he will make right all the wrong that we see. When you look at the world, do you see brokenness? Do you see pain in your own life? In your own family history? In your own personal story? In your own testimony? Do you see brokenness and pain and suffering and heartache and hurt? You do. No doubt you do. We all do to some degree. And yet the Lord is coming someday. And when he comes, he will make all things right. But when we live by faith in him today, we don't have to just wait for someday. We can begin to live for tomorrow today by walking by faith in the Lord, by fearing him and being people who who let that fear of the Lord, that faith in God, let that conform our behavior and the way that we live today. And I pray that that would, be, that would be you, that that would be me, that would be true of our lives, that we would be a people who conform the way that we live to the Word of God, who are transformed in our hopes and our dreams and our wants for the future, who are informed by our identity as His children and who form our lives on that foundation of faith. This morning, in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. And in our time of response today, if there's never been a moment in your life where you, have, where you have willingly brought yourself under the submission of God, 
That you, have, that you have become righteous, not because of anything that you do, but because of what Jesus has already done. And that you become righteous by looking to him in faith, by submitting your life to him in faith. Even as we saw Sutton's baptism as a picture of that this morning, of what it means to surrender our life. And, and Matthew even said multiple times, this was the greatest decision that Sutton could ever make. And no doubt it is. And, and it's the greatest decision that any of us can ever make. And if there's never been that moment in your life when you have made that decision to trust God by faith, I would encourage you, you make today the day. So as we're singing the song of invitation, I'll be standing here at the front. Brad will be here at the front as well. And we would love to pray with you and walk you through a prayer of surrender that you might say, God, I want to submit my life to you. I want to live in light of all that you've done for me by, by, by building my life on that foundation of faith. Maybe you've taken that step. But the question really for you is, is it then informing your identity? Is it transforming your hopes and your dreams for tomorrow? Is it conforming the way that you live in your behavior today? Is the people of God who live with the fear of the Lord, it ought to change everything about our lives. May that be true of us as we respond in obedience to him today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. The way that you that you made salvation available through your sacrifice, through giving your life for us as payment for our sin. And and even further than that, as you conquered sin and death through your resurrection, Lord, thus proving to us your power, your power to forgive, your power to set us free. We're so grateful for that. Lord, we want to live in in obedient response to that. May the fear of your power, your authority, may it, be the foundation of our lives. May it form our faith. May it inform our identity. Transform our tomorrow and even ultimately conform the way we live today. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir our hearts. Move in our midst today as we look to you and respond in obedience to your word. All this we ask in your name. Amen. We stand together now. We sing this song of response again. Our staff will be here at the at the front uh, this morning. Our altar is open. If if you want to come and use this as a moment to just kneel in prayer and surrender before the Lord, but I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to Him this morning as we sing and we live out our faithful.